diminished responsibility. In criminal law, diminished responsibility, or diminished capacity, is a potential defense by excuse by which defendants argue that although they broke the law, they should not be held fully criminally liable for doing so, as their mental functions were diminished or impaired. Diminished capacity is a partial defense to charges that require that the defendant act with a particular state of mind. For example, if the felony murder rule does not apply, first-degree murder requires that the state prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant acted with premeditation, deliberation, and the specific intent to kill, all three are necessary elements of the state's case. If evidence exists, sufficient to create a reasonable doubt as to whether the defendant because of mental illness or defect possessed the capacity to premeditate, deliberate or form the specific intent to kill then the state cannot convict the defendant of first-degree murder. This does not mean that the defendant is entitled to an acquittal. The defendant still might be convicted of second-degree murder which only requires that the defendant act with general malice. The defense's acceptance in American jurisdictions varies considerably. The majority of states have adopted it by statute or case decision, and a minority even recognize broader defenses such as irresistible impulse. Some U.S. states restrict the defense to the charge of murder only where a successful defense will result in a manslaughter conviction instead of murder. Until recently, the Republic of Ireland did not accept the partial defense. The Irish Supreme Court had rejected the existence of the defense in DPP v. O'Mahony. The case was recently abrogated, however, by enactment of the Criminal Law Insanity Act 2006, effective June 1, 2006. The Act, in pertinent part, specifically adopted the partial defense for the charge of murder where a successful defense will result in a manslaughter conviction instead of murder. The defense is to be contrasted with insanity which is a complete but affirmative defense. In most jurisdictions a defendant would be acquitted on the grounds of insanity if the defendant established to the satisfaction of the jury that he suffered from such a mental disease or defect that he was unable to appreciate the consequences of his actions or did not know what he was doing was wrong. As noted a successful insanity defense will result in acquittal although a number of jurisdictions have adopted the guilty but insane verdict. The defense of insanity and diminished capacity although clearly distinct are not inconsistent defenses and both may be at issue in the same case. The critical distinctions are that diminished capacity is a partial, negating defense, negates an element of the state's case, with the burden on the state to show that the defendant acted with the requisite state of mind while insanity is a complete but affirmative defense, the defendant bearing the burden of proving that he was legally insane. This is an aspect of a more general insanity defense, see the Mitten Rules. The defense was first recognized by Scottish common law to reduce the punishment of the partially insane. It developed from the practice of juries in the 19th century of returning verdicts of guilty with a recommendation as to mercy or mitigation of sentence to reflect any extenuating circumstances. In a series of decisions, given mainly by Lord Joss, a doctrine grew that various types of mental weakness could have the effect of reducing what would otherwise be a conviction for murder, which attracted capital punishment, to one for culpable homicide, where the courts had greater discretion in sentencing. An example of a diminished capacity might be extremely low intelligence. In the English case of R. V. Raven, a man who had a physical age of 22 years but a mental age of only 9 years felt provoked by homosexual advances and killed his perceived attacker. His mental deficiency was not in dispute and, since a child of 9 years would not have been criminally responsible, C.S. 50 Children and Young Persons Act 1933, and his mental responsibility for his acts was substantially impaired, manslaughter was the only realistic verdict. The rationale of the defense is that, 
As a precondition to punishment, the criminal law requires conduct to be voluntary. If something interferes with the capacity of the individual to choose to break the law, this should be reflected by an excuse or exculpation. The law should balance the need to be fair to the individual wrongdoer, but equally offer some protection to society from a person who may not have complete control over their behavior. The effect of the defense varies between the jurisdictions and depends on the offense charged. In some cases, it will result in a full excuse and therefore produce a verdict of not guilty. In others, it offers only exculpation to a degree, resulting in the substitution of a lesser offense, for example, manslaughter instead of murder or a mitigated sentence. United States Federal Law The U.S. Sentencing Guidelines provide, a downward departure may be warranted if, 1. The defendant committed the offense while suffering from a significantly reduced mental capacity, and, 2. The significantly reduced mental capacity contributed substantially to the commission of the offense. State law. California was the first state in the U.S. to adopt the diminished capacity defense, beginning with People v. Wells and People v. Gorshin. The doctrine would soon be abolished by ballot initiative in 1982 following the negative publicity surrounding the case of Dan White, who had killed George Moscone and Harvey Milk. While White's defense team did argue successfully for a ruling of diminished capacity, resulting in a verdict of voluntary manslaughter rather than murder and urban legend that the defense had blamed White's actions on the ingestion of sugar and junk food, the so-called Twinkie defense, sprang up out of inaccurate media coverage. One participant in the debate over diminished capacity rulings waved a Twinkie in the air to make his point. Currently, the California Penal Code states, 2002, the defense of diminished capacity is hereby abolished, there shall be no defense of diminished capacity, diminished responsibility, or irresistible impulse. English Law Section 2 of the Homicide Act 1957 states, 1. Where a person kills or is party to a killing of another, he shall not be convicted of murder if he was suffering from an abnormality of mental functioning which a. rose from a medical condition b. substantially impaired d.'s ability to do one or more of the things mentioned in subsection 1a and C. Provides an explanation for D's acts and omissions in doing or being a party to the killing. 1a. Those things are a. To understand the nature of D's conduct. b. To form a rational judgment. c. To exercise self-control. 1b. For the purposes of subsection, 1c. An abnormality of mental functioning provides an explanation of D's conduct if it causes, or is a significant contributory factor in causing, D to carry out that conduct. Coercion. Coercion involves compelling a party to act in an involuntary manner by the use of threats, including threats to use force against that party. It involves a set of forceful actions which violate the free will of an individual in order to induce a desired response. These actions may include extortion, blackmail, or even torture and sexual assault. For example, a bully may demand lunch money from a student where refusal results in the student getting beaten. Common law systems codify the act of violating a law while under coercion as a duress crime. Coercion used as leverage may force victims to act in a way contrary to their own interests. Coercion can involve not only the infliction of bodily harm, but also psychological abuse, the latter intended to enhance the perceived credibility of the threat. The threat of further harm may also lead to the acquiescence of the person being coerced. The concepts of coercion and persuasion are similar but various factors distinguish the two. These include the intent, the willingness to cause harm, the result of the interaction, and the options available to the coerced party. 
John Rawls, Thomas Nagel, Ronald Dworkin, and other political authors argue that the state is coercive. In 1919 Max Weber, 1864-1920, building on the view of I hearing, 1818-1892, defined a state as a human community that, successfully, claims a monopoly on the legitimate use of physical force. Morris argues that the state can operate through incentives rather than coercion. Healthcare systems may use informal coercion to make a patient adhere to a doctor's treatment plan. Under certain circumstances, medical staff may use physical coercion to treat a patient involuntarily. Overview The purpose of coercion is to substitute one's aims to those of the victim. For this reason, many social philosophers have considered coercion as the polar opposite to freedom. Various forms of coercion are distinguished, first on the basis of the kind of injury threatened, second according to its aims and scope, and finally according to its effects, from which its legal, social, and ethical implications mostly depend. Physical. Physical coercion is the most commonly considered form of coercion, where the content of the conditional threat is the use of force against a victim, their relatives or property. An often used example is putting a gun to someone's head, at gunpoint, or putting a knife under the throat, at knife point or cutthroat, to compel action under the threat that noncompliance may result in the attacker harming or even killing the victim. These are so common that they are also used as metaphors for other forms of coercion. Armed forces in many countries use firing squads to maintain discipline and intimidate the masses, or opposition, into submission or silent compliance. However, there also are non-physical forms of coercion, where the threatened injury does not immediately imply the use of force. Feynman and Waxman, 2000, define coercion as the use of threatened force, including the limited use of actual force to back up the threat, to induce an adversary to behave differently than it otherwise would. Coercion does not in many cases amount to destruction of property or life since compliance is the goal. Pain compliance? Pain compliance is the use of painful stimuli to control or direct an organism. The stimulus can be manual, brute force, placing pressure on painful areas, or use of painful hyperextension or hyperflexion on joints, use tools such as a whip or electroshock weapon, or use chemicals such as tear gas or pepper spray. The purpose of pain compliance is to direct the actions of the subject, and to this end, the pain is lessened or removed when compliance is achieved. This provides incentive to the subject to carry out the action required. Psychologica In psychological coercion, the threatened injury regards the victim's relationships with other people. The most obvious example is blackmail, where the threat consists of the dissemination of damaging information. However, many other types are possible for example emotional blackmail, which typically involves threats of rejection from or disapproval by a peer group, or creating feelings of guilt or obligation via a display of anger or hurt by someone whom the victim loves or respects.